0: Welcome everyone to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Career and Technology Podcasts. I'm your host, Wayne Stacey, and we're here today to discuss tech transactions. If you spend enough time in Silicon Valley, uh, you hear about tech transactions, but the question is, what does it mean? And what does a junior or a mid level attorney end up doing day to day in a tech transactions practice? Well, to answer that question, we have two of the international tech transaction experts from the law firm of White & Case, Aaron Hansen and Yish Gong. So welcome to both of you. Thank you for joining us. Let me just start with uh, the intro question. You know, students know what patent prosecution and patent litigation mean and have some understanding of what they'll be doing as a first or second or third year. But what does that mean in terms of tech transactions? Simply put, what would a younger uh, junior attorney be doing in a tech transaction practice, and especially an in international practice like White and Case has?
1: I, I think taking a, a bigger picture view of what technology transactions is, I, as you said, Wayne, um, students are really familiar with the prosecution aspect of intellectual property and also um, litigation as well. But, but I think just to um, really explain what technology transactions is practically, it's about realizing the value of um, intellectual property for businesses. And, and so we, we help um, our clients to, to do that predominantly through uh, contracts. And arrangements with various other parties um, and so we could do that by um, monetizing the the intellectual property asset through deriving royalties we could do that by um, helping the the company um, themselves implement or practice the IP to create products and services of their own um, it could be through, licensing that intellectual property to to other parties um, to commercialize that asset and to collaborate with others as well and and also it can be through sale of the intellectual property asset and sometimes that's in um, M&A transactions and and so when it comes to the day-to-day practice of tech transit it, it translates to areas. You have the corporate support work where we work with uh, attorneys in the the corporate team and provide specialist advice on um, the intellectual property assets that are part of the transaction there. And that can be doing due diligence on the ownership of the the IP. Um, It can be also through looking at Um, agreements that the target has entered into with other parties and seeing if there's any um, red flag issues. Um, So that would be this first component of the practice. And then the second component of the practice um, is what we typically refer to as a standalone practice. And that's where um, we would work directly with the client. Um, to be able to, to do some of the things that I mentioned before when it comes to realizing the value of the IP. It could be um, uh, working with a client to enter into a, a long-term arrangement about how to collaborate and commercialize this technology that they have. It could be setting up a framework for them um, to be able to license their technology to to other businesses in order to um, extract value so that they themselves are not directly responsible for creating the products and and services. So it it can be varied in that way. But I I would say that those are
2: the two major components of a tech trans practice. So basically, at, at its kind of most fundamental level, the way I like to think about our practice is we're intellectual property lawyers who specialize in transactional work. So whether that is the kind of, development, uh, the buying, the selling, the licensing, or services in connection with intellectual property or, or technology, we will kind of do that contractual and transactional work rather than the litigation side.
0: And I understand, especially for the, the white and case client base, that the tech transaction practice for you is is international in nature. So how does that international client base change a tech transactions practice?
2: At a fundamental level, it means that you have to be um, operating on a lot of different time zones, but that's kind of just at the surface. I think really it, it just comes down to, you know, if we have domestic clients, they're dealing with foreign counterparts in different jurisdictions. So I don't know if it necessarily changes the kind of substance of what we're doing necessarily on the standalone side, Wayne, um, it it may just be more around, you know, intellectual property um, is is jurisdictional to a lot of degree depending on the type of intellectual property you're dealing with. It might be making sure that, you know, you're cognizant of the kind of jurisdiction in which the intellectual property has been created or developed, and the local nuances around that. Um, And often we will work with our colleagues in different jurisdictions at White and Case, or if we don't have uh, service in that particular jurisdiction local council, um, to the extent we might need to to understand kind of local jurisdictional issues as well. So I think that's probably the, the major difference than just doing a deal where you have, uh, you know, two US based counterparts where everyone kind of understands the road rules and and how intellectual property arises and how it's protected. And, you know, we might need that kind of additional insight if we're dealing with intellectual property that's being created or will be licensed in different jurisdictions or exported or imported.
0: So I think that's an interesting piece of this, this puzzle. And that's the, the international connection, working with other attorneys, either your firm or partner firms and in, in other jurisdictions. How do you end up pairing with another, another attorney in your own firm or if? You don't have any local attorneys from your firm. How do you find other local counsel that you can trust and work with?
2: So White & Case is, you know, we're, we have 40 offices in 33 countries. So we're a very big international law firm. And just like Yish and I, who are based in the U.S., we have counterparts in, in Germany, in France, in, in Japan, uh, in London, um, so we're pretty well networked around the world, and then secondarily, we we're so used to doing international transactions that we actually have, I would say, almost in any jurisdiction that we have worked with, we would have preferred local counsel that the firm keeps basically a directory of. Um, so we know uh, when we're you know don't have an office or you know uh, someone in the White and Case family, we'll be working with people who our colleagues have been worked working with and and trust and have a good working relationship with.
1: And I think a unique feature of um, being in a a global firm like White & Case is the opportunity to connect with our um, foreign counterparts over uh, regular video conference meetings where we, we get to hear about the developments which are taking place in foreign jurisdictions um, and getting to see their faces as well so that we know who to to call on if there is, say, a German law issue or a French law issue or an English law issue. What was really great, I mean, a couple of years ago um, when the the pandemic wasn't an issue, we we even had the chance to all meet together um, in Silicon Valley for a, a global IP conference. That was really great for us to get to know our, our international colleagues um, because there there have been a number of deals that we've worked on, for example, where we have a German client that wants to invest in a US business. And, and so we would be working with our colleagues in the Germany office um to, to provide them with the, the US specific legal advice that, that they need to uh, help their clients live in Germany.
0: So, Aaron, in, in order to help with a A better concrete idea of tech transaction work. Can you tell us about a a particular or a favorite case that you worked on that that really demonstrates what a tech transaction lawyer does?
2: So a few years ago now, um, it was back in 2017, I had the pleasure of working on a transaction where we sold uh, Snoopy and Charlie Brown and co. and Strawberry Shortcake. I'm hoping people today know who Snoopy is. I don't know about Strawberry Shortcake. We helped our client sell um, an 80% interest in that franchise to a Canadian children's television network. In that deal, you know, one of the important parts of it was all of the cartoons that um, Schultz had, had illustrated. And so we were dealing with some really interesting copyright issues with respect to really old copyright properties. And it also made the disclosure schedules really interesting with lots of pictures of uh, Charlie Brown and Snoopy.
0: Yes, Shabby, can you follow up with maybe a, a particular matter that you worked on that would further illustrate what a tech transaction lawyer does and then maybe highlight how you would staff or use a more junior attorney on your, your matters?
1: I'd say one of the recent favorite deals that I worked on happened at the start of uh, 2020 just as we started hunkering down down for the pandemic. For that particular deal, we assisted WhatsApp, a subsidiary of Facebook, in entering into a strategic collaboration with um, an Indian counterparty. They are subsidiaries of um, one of the largest conglomerates in India. And the purpose was to accelerate um, both parties' e-commerce strategies in India and Um, It was really exciting because after the deal was done, it caught the attention of um, a lot of media in US and in India, um, particularly because there was such an explosion of e-commerce and home deliveries to the pandemic happening at that time. So as outside counsel, um, Assisting our clients, we we had to understand the retail landscape of the market in India. Um, being an international deal, it was it was really interesting to learn about how things are different in different markets. And then ultimately, we had to translate the party's commercial objectives into contractual obligations Um, so on a day to day level, just to give our listeners some understanding about what it looks like um, concretely as an associate I attended calls with um, our clients in house commercial legal and product legal teams and um, also uh, participated in calls with the, the partnerships and business development teams and then. As a team, we then prepared revised drafts of um, contracts to reflect new updates as they came about and also assisted in negotiations with um, the the counterparty. Given that they they were located in India, it made for some pretty long days at times, um, sometimes starting at 6 a.m. in the morning and then ending at midnight. That's another feature of international deals, which Erin mentioned earlier on. I think in a a deal of this nature, a technology transactions associate at at a junior level, they would be expected to um, take notes about the call. A lot of things happen and um, often plans and strategies change. So um, it's really important that we are kept up to date on what happens. And so a junior would be attending these calls, taking notes, Possibly also um, being involved in revising the draft to, to make updates for these changes um, and also proofreading um, some of the contracts that we, that we prepare and doing things like checking cross-references, checking um, for consistency in terms. I would say that those are all um, responsibilities um, that a junior associate would have. And that would give them exposure to the types of provisions that come up and become more familiar with things as, as they um, gain knowledge and experience.
0: I want to shift gears just a little bit here and talk about how the two of you found yourself doing tech transaction work. Out of everything you could have done in law school, you've now kind of are that, that seasoned group of tech transactional lawyers. How did you get there?
1: I started my legal practice in Australia, and um, when I started, I had the opportunity to work in in a a few practice areas. So I I did um, six months in a banking and finance practice, and also six months in a in a general corporate practice, along with this technology transactions practice. and um, it gave me an opportunity to taste test, I suppose, uh the different transactional practices that were out there. What ended up drawing me to technology transactions was a few a few points. The first is that uh there was a there's a lot of variety um in a technology transactions practice. So in addition to you know, the the two kind of practice areas that I, I talked about earlier generally technology transactions gives you exposure to clients, um, companies across the whole life cycle. It could be smaller startup clients um, to the very large companies, very well-established companies. And and so what I got to experience and what I continue um, enjoy doing right now is, is the ability to work on really, you know, high profile matters with very interesting and complex legal issues
2: um, and
1: also continue to work really closely with clients on their business as usual type work which which is really interesting because you get to know the business of the client really well um, you get involved in how they run their day-to-day operations you get exposure to um, not just their legal teams, but sometimes their engineering teams, sometimes their business development teams. So you you get more integrated into a client's business, I mean, as much as you can as, as outside counsel. Um, whereas I, I think the experience that I had working in um, M&A and in banking and finance is that you you tend to be called on for these very specific deals. So you're kind of in and out. And I, I imagine that would be similar with a litigation role where you you enter in, you help them with this very specific dispute that they have, but then um, you don't necessarily get to uh, continue on this journey with the client. Um, and so that was an aspect of um, technology transactions that, that I really enjoyed. And then um, another aspect is just the nature of the the deals that um, I got to work on, it, it, it allowed me to kind of peek into the future of what technology might be coming up. I think you get to do that with litigation and prosecution because you, I mean, you, you get to see patents as they're being filed. Um, but I, I feel like with technology transactions, you're a bit closer to when the new technology is being commercialized and made available to the public. So um, I found that to be a, a really exciting aspect of Tech Trends as well.
0: There's an, an interesting question I'll, I'll put to you, Aaron. Um, this is all technology focused. Do you have to have a technology degree to be a tech transactions lawyer?
2: I do not have a technology degree, and I am a tech transactions lawyer. So that probably gives you the hint. And it's interesting because on the IP litigation side, I know uh, even within our firm, there's there's different views and, um, you know, lots of people will say that you do need to have a technical degree. On the technology transaction side, we have, I would say it's almost 50-50, but people with a technical degree, you know, one of our very senior associates, he has an electrical engineering Um, background. We have had people who've done software, one of our partners did did kind of uh, biology. So you're not necessarily practicing um, in the area that you would have even studied um, if you had a technical degree. So what I would say to people is a really kind of um, healthy degree of curiosity with respect to technology, that you use technology, that you kind of read about it, that you're interested in it, is kind of part and parcel of kind of what you need rather than necessarily necessarily the very kind of technical understanding about how the technology works.
0: Well, that, That's interesting. I'm mostly patent litigation myself, and I've seen those, those fights, whether you need a degree or not. And at yeah. the end of the day, I, I love the way you put that, a healthy degree of curiosity. If you ever said, I went to law school because I thought there was no math, Tech transactions, <laughs> patent litigation—they may be difficult places for you, but uh, yeah. I love that. I'm—I'm going to steal that line: a healthy degree of tech curiosity. For <laughs> people starting law school now that still are still have courses to schedule, you know, what should they be thinking about if this is the way they want their career to go?
1: I think that definitely doing some courses in IPs, like the substantive. Um i p law courses would be helpful, for example, copyright patent trademarks. um having an understanding of those areas would help a lot um, when it comes to to drafting contracts a- about those assets and then I'd also say that uh, doing a course in drafting would be would be really great. Especially if there is a course that's specifically focused on technology and, and patents licensing drafting, um, because I think you can get some exposure that way to um, some of the, the nuances of drafting that, that we deal with um, on a day to day basis. And then I, I guess there are some really interesting courses that are run, which are specific to a particular industry like I've seen there are courses which are focused on video game law or music law, I think. If there's an opportunity for students to do those, um, that would provide great exposure to that particular industry and also um, the skills that you develop in those types
2: of courses, I'm sure would be somewhat transferable into other industries as well. I think everyone has to do contract law these days, which is a good thing. That's the Mm -hmm. cornerstone of our practice in addition to kind of the varying intellectual property rights that Yish listed. If you have done a course in in corporations law, business law, it's called corporations law in Australia, I feel like I'm getting it wrong, but essentially kind of companies law here, um, that can be useful because, you know, you do to a degree need to understand the different ways um, that businesses and assets can be bought and sold. Um, So that can be useful as well.
0: So it sounds like you need to know a little bit of everything. Um, That's just (laughs) the, the trick.
2: Jack of all uh, trades, master of None.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, I appreciate you helping us walk through what a tech transaction practice means, and especially what an international-focused uh, tech transaction practice
2: means. I'm positive that the students will, will enjoy what they, what they learn from you.